I started this semester and not knowing that it would end like this. I know this is no one's more surprised than I am that God's like, time to go. Um, and when he says go, you go. He makes it clear. But um, I started, and I just want to kneel before him as we close. I want to kneel before him in gratitude um, for just what he's done. And Father God, no one could do a miracle but you, Lord. No one can heal the sick but you, Jesus. No one can send a demon fleeing but you, Jesus. No one can renew a mind but you, Jesus. No one. It is your work, Lord. No one can heal a marriage. No one can heal a parent-child. No one can do any of this, Lord. And God, I cannot get up and speak, God. Only the Holy Spirit through me. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise, God, for what you have done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for every life changed, including mine, my husband's, my child's, God. Lord, because as we serve and as we pour out, you give it back to us, Lord. I just thank you, God. Thank you with all my heart. Lord, I just pray over this last teaching, God. Fill it with your truth. Fill it with your power. Fill it with your love, God. And I just pray there is an anointing and equipping over every soul in this room, God. Let no one leave as they walk in the door. Not one person, God. Not one person. Let them all go home different. Empowered by the blood of the living lamb. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Oh, man. All right. This is not going to be a tearful sermon. Um, And... I sat in this empty room last night for a long time um, and just uh, prayed and cried. and was just overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm like, Lord, look what you've done. Reagan came in. We prayed and cried. <laughs> it's going to be a Christmas story. It's not going to be a fluffy one. And let me tell you guys something. You guys know this is, this is, this is a tough teaching. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going out with a bang. The point of this ministry was to empower the church to be different because we're failing. And we have way too much, there's way too much um, fluff and not enough grit. And the point is, it's time to rise up. And that's the whole reason. I never wanted to do this teaching, as you guys know. This was never part of my plan. This was God's plan. But there was an urgency to raise people up to be fighters and warriors that we're supposed to be. And so, I'm just, I'm just warning you now. If meat is hard for you to digest, this is going to be a tough teaching. But it's necessary. So, and I was surprised that this was the last one. As a matter of fact, I resisted. This didn't want, I didn't want this really to be my last teaching. I wanted a rah-rah, like, you know, all all that kind of, this is a little different. 
But I'm telling you, it will give you what you need. If I can impart something to you, this is what I want to, this is not what I want, this is what he wants to impart. Um, I wanted a fluff piece for the last time, to tell you the truth. <laughs> oh no, he made me go real deep. So I'm just, that's just my disclaimer. Um, all right, so Christmas story. We're going to start. Luke 2.10. The angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news. It'll cause great joy to all the people. And suddenly a great heavenly host of angels appear, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth, goodwill to, towards men. It is a joyful, empowering, peaceful message. I love that. I have stood on these scriptures Many times, I love this peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I love that. It has comforted me through some really difficult times. But it's interesting because that was Luke 2, starting 2.10. But just a little lower down in the passage of Luke 2, verse 34, you get a very different message. Now, the first one is the big, broad message to the shepherds, to the world. The second message is a very intimate message for one person, Mary, Virgin Mary. Very different message. It comes from a prophet. The man, his name was Simeon. He was a prophet of God, and God had promised him that he would not die until he saw the Savior. And so Mary and Joseph were very poor, and they had to, they had, there were two levels of, of sacrifices you could do when you dedicated a baby boy. And one was, there was one for poor people if they couldn't afford the more expensive sacrifice. And, and the Bible tells us they did the poor person sacrifice. And they're there, they're doing the, the sacrifice to commit Jesus. And Simeon runs into them into the temple and he says, I can die now. I've seen the Savior. But he has a, and he has a great message and all this stuff. But then at the very end, he turns to Mary. And he gives this message, and it's an unusual message. Luke 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph, and then he says to Mary, the most intimate relationship of Jesus' life, the baby's mother, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Where's the rah-rah? Like, this isn't that. What, what is this? And this is where God took me with all this. And then I'm like, I'm like, what a juxtaposition in the same chapter. The same chapter, an extremely different message to the one who's most intimate with Jesus. And here's the word. We all know secret churches, which are very good and very important and very beautiful. And the message from the angels to the world is a secret church message. It's peace. It, there's salvation. There's, but see, you start here, but you're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to get more and more and more and more intimate with God. And let me tell you something, guys. The more intimate you get with God, this is your message. It ain't easy. Here's the real message. For the mama, this is what you get. It's going to pierce your heart. It's going to pierce your soul. There's opposition everywhere. 
There, he's going to cause people to fall. That's the first thing he says. What a strange message to a mother of the Savior. So, so what is this? Really, what is this? So you guys have heard me say this a million times, back to the basics, right? Go back to the basics. Go back to the basics because we've lost our way. Because if we didn't lose our way, we'd be impacting the world and our nation. There's a lot of us. We don't have any power. We don't have much impact. Evil is taking more and more and more ground like a devouring monster while we sit here and that's not, listen, that's not God's fault. We're missing something. We're missing the power. So we go back to the basics. Mm -hmm. The basics are Jesus is born from adversity. Jesus is born from pain. He is. You, you got, he's got, they think Mary was 13 years old. An unwed 13-year-old mother. He leaves heaven's glory to poverty. He's born in a barn in a haystack. He, he, Mary is surrounded by shame and gossip and innuendo about her purity. I mean, she's been knocked up at 13. She says she's been impregnated by God. Right. You know, I mean, so there's all this. There, it's adversity swelling around him, not to mention the political system is terrible. Rome is in charge, it is violent. Do you know they used to line the, the road to Rome in crosses of people being crucified? That's how you, I mean, to Jerusalem, that's how you get in? The Roman rule is violent. Then he's surrounded by death. They, Herod goes and kills all the two-year-olds and under, all the two-year-old boys and under, and then he's a refugee and flees to Egypt. Adversity, difficulty, it's hard. What about John the Baptist, his cousin? Born to Zachariah and Elizabeth, born out of her heartbreak, born out of her barrenness, born out of a disappointment every single month. And you know what? For 400 years, God had been silent. For 400 years, no one heard anything from God. And yet, Zachariah was a priest and he was in the temple faithfully serving God. You have a righteous couple. You can't make sense of it. Why isn't God giving them their godly desire for a child? They're, they don't have, they're infertile. They don't have a child. And then, after 400 years of silence, as Zechariah is faithfully in the temple serving, he's faithful through the disappointment, faithful through the silence, an angel appears. Good news. You're going to have a son, and this son will change the world. And a prophecy is given. God doesn't just give them a child. He gives them the cousin of the Savior who paves the way. Huge. But it's born out of pain and suffering and lack and heartbreak. That's what it's born from. You know, Zechariah means... Well, I have it on here. What, oh, I, wrote, I wrote it down and now I can't find it. See, I lose my... The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And Zechariah remembered the Lord, and the Lord remembered Zechariah. But he was faithful through the pain. He was faithful through the difficulty. You know, you just have Samuel. That's another one. The last priest that led Israel. What was he born out of? His mother in the temple, praying so hard out of her pain and distress that the Current priest thought that she was drunk and reprimanded her. He's like, how dare you come in here drunk and causing a scene? She's like, no, I'm in bitter mourning. I'm in pain. The last 
priest to lead the nation, born out of disappointment, struggle, and pain. Moses, the leader that led them out of slavery, what's he born into? Every boy is getting killed. The parents and the sister risk their life to give him life, born out of difficulty. Inexplicable situations. Why? Why? See, this is a question, the question of pain. Why? Why all that pain and heartbreak? And a lot of these stories, the pain and heartbreak was going on for a long time. This isn't a week or two. This is years, many of them. Why? And, and you know what? When people see that kind of struggle and, and all that stuff, they're like, yeah, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? You know, what, what? there's something wrong with them. That's not normal. And it's right, that's not normal. Because normal is not what God's going for. It's not what God's going for. Normal isn't, the, normal isn't God's standard. But abnormal is that, listen, this is, a, this is tough. But the, each of these men that I just talked about, they were born, and then they were prophesied over. If any of you have ever gotten a prophecy, it's extraordinary because it lifts your sights. It says, God has his hand on you. God wants to use you in an extraordinary way. And I mean, angels are singing, angels are appearing. You know, you've got this extraordinary high of the prophecy of what God is going to do in their lives. So, so you've got John the Baptist, and you know, this angel tells his father what an extraordinary man, a world-changing man this guy's going to be. And so John grows up hearing this story about what God plans to do through him. And then God uses him to do a huge ministry. And the ministry, people, he's out in the desert and people come from all around on foot right back then, walking into the desert to find this guy and, you know, sheepskin and eating honey and all this stuff, this huge ministry, right? And the prophecy is being fulfilled. And then the next thing we see, he's in prison about to be beheaded. And he sends Jesus a message. He's like, hey, um, for real? Like, all I heard my whole life is this prophecy. I'm about to have my head chopped off. Are you real, Jesus? Are you really the Savior? I'm in this pain. I'm about to die. Is this really your path? For real? The pain? Is this? The question comes. You know, the calling is great. But then the, the pain doesn't, you, you, in your mind, you think it's this, but then it's this, and you can't make sense of it. See, a lot of Christians get derailed because of the pain. You know how many people walk away? Do you know how many people walk away because they can't explain the difficulty and the pain? And you know what we don't talk about in church? Yes. Have you ever heard a sermon on this? I haven't. You hear the rah, 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 angels singing, here's your prophecy, you know. But what about, what about this part of the story? You guys have to have it. I've got to equip you guys with this because this is the only way you stay the course. So, some more examples. What about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, you know, he was a big week, right? That, so in that society, he's the top Pharisee. Pharisees of Pharisees. He's from the royal bloodline of blah, 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 all this stuff. He's like royalty. 
Then he has an encounter with Jesus that changes him forever. And everybody that knew him is like, what happened to Paul? He was at the top of the heap. He comes to Jesus. He's the bottom of the barrel. He's in and out of jail. He's being beaten all the time. He's imprisoned. He's blah, 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 blah. Man, that guy sure got it wrong. Look at that mess. He's scarred from head to toe. You can imagine what his friends are saying. You can imagine what his parents were just like, oh, my goodness, what on earth? Like, we raised him to be royalty, and he's... <clears throat> can you imagine how the people that used to know him talked? How do, you, how do you make sense of that? You got Moses. Moses gets rescued, as we know, and then gets get raised up once again to royalty. He is the son of the princess, raised in the, you know, loved and adored and raised in the, in the, in the royalty. And we know that the Bible says that he chose to turn his back on the riches of Egypt to suffer for God. And it's a, there's a poignant moment, and we all know the moment, but I want to just, he knew he had been called somehow. It doesn't tell us how he knew. Because, you know, we know about the burning bush, but before the burning bush, he already knew he was called because we have this, Oh, well, okay, for some reason we don't have that scripture, or maybe I dropped a page. But anyway, let's, I don't know why, I don't know why that's there. But anyway, <laughs> well, I know why it's there, but I'm not sure what's going on. Okay, so uh, we'll get back to that. I'm not, so I did my own PowerPoint. I've never done my own PowerPoint. Dave is in Chicago, and it's my, all these years I've done my own. And I literally checked it 500 times, but you guys know me in technology. So anyway, we'll see. Hopefully that's my only faux pas. But so we have Moses and he has, you know, he's, he's protecting this innocent guy. And so Moses assumes his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. But the man who was wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us? He asked, are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? So you've got, you've got that. So see, here's the thing. They're born from adversity. They're dying in adversity. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. So, so I'm going to go back to that scripture I just put up there. Jesus, Jesus wrote, this is written about Jesus, Psalm 69, 7, for I endured scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. What's interesting is when Jesus was on the cross doing the greatest work in history for the kingdom of God, he felt shame. And he was scorned. Wait, the greatest time. He's doing the greatest work. And there's shame and there's scorn. <clears throat> so, so there is this juxtaposition between doing the right thing. And, and just like we talked about Paul and John the Baptist and Moses, the people around them weren't seeing it. They weren't getting it. But they stayed the course. They finished it. They did it. They did it. Born from adversity, die in adversity, and rise from the ashes and change the world. We're sitting here today because of them. We're in this room thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, Moses, I mean, way back. Why? 
because they didn't let the adversity, the pain, the difficult stop them. They didn't say, okay, I'm going to have to quit now. They endured the shame. Because a lot of times when you're doing the greatest work is when the, the enemy will send people who don't understand the kingdom of God and they will see the situation wrong and it will bring shame if you'll let it. But here's the thing. If we don't claim the shame, we don't claim the glory. See, we don't claim the glory, so we don't claim the shame. I'm just saying, it's all his. We just do what he tells us to do, right? I mean, but in the dying and in this whole thing, there's suffering. There is suffering. And we've got to do something about the problem of pain and suffering in the Christian walk. Because the thing, you know, I'm, the Lord's having me shut everything down. But the one thing he's not having me shut down is the counseling. Because the counseling to me is breathing. I could never stop doing that. Never. And, and I spend so much time talking to men, women, and children. And so much of it is, I thought Christianity was supposed to make it all, you know, you, you hear the angels singing in the secret church, and if you stay there your whole life and you never grow up and you stay an infant, you're like, well, before door number one is supposed to be a brand new Mercedes, and before number two is a jet plane. And, you know, you have this expectation of ease. And then when life kicks your butt, you're like, well, God doesn't work. God didn't show up. Where is he? That's not what he promised. No, there is a process, my friends. There is a process that you've got to stay the course through. And we got to talk about it. And we got to deal with it because otherwise you're going to get knocked over. And the last thing that God wanted me to impart to you guys is this. There's going to be suffering. This is not my, woo, I just so wanted to do one of those fun ones. But this is the greatest gift I can give you. Because you're really not going to hear this. And you got to know how to deal with it and stay the course. Go deep. Be mature. So there's a process. So how do you deal? The first, there's two parts to this sermon I want to talk about. The first part I want to talk about is how do you deal with the pain when you're in the pain? Now, a lot of you guys know the last 10 years, whew, the last two, really, and the last one, just forget about it, in my life. I mean, I, I, I can tell you this because of what I've suffered and what I've been through. And see, that's what the gospel says. It says you will comfort and equip other people by what you went through. So I'm going to equip you guys. I'm going to equip you guys. And, and it's changed me. It's changed me, and I know it's changed me for the better, but I've hated every minute of it, and that's the truth. Anybody who's like, oh, this is great. You know, it says, it says to be grateful for the pain, and I get that, I am, but it's terrible. Let's just get it straight. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who literally leaped in Elizabeth's womb when his, the baby saw the baby, which there's a thing for abortion, right? The Spirit was, of God was in that baby already, but anyway, but... That babe, so from his in, so from conception, he knew Jesus was God. But even he, when he was suffering, he's like, hey, are you, the, are you really the Messiah? You're going to let my head get chopped off? Are you really him? Jesus himself, as he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was like, God, you've forsaken me. And I've heard all kinds of explanation. And 
you guys know one of my pet peeves is when people make up. Well, I know what that means. God didn't really. Well, really, because there's not a scripture to say what that means. I'm pretty sure he really believed that God had forsaken him. And maybe God did or didn't. I don't know what that process is because I'm not going to make that up. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what I know is that when Jesus was suffering like that, he said, God, you've forsaken me. Jesus himself felt that way. Okay? So, you know what the first step is? Keep it real. Do not go fake in your pain. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm fine. You know, I'm not allowed to suffer. I'm not allowed to feel this. It's a lack of faith to feel the pain. No. Jesus wasn't fake. John the Baptist wasn't fake. Be real. Be real. You've got to go through mourning in a healthy way. Mourning is all over the Old Testament. Mourning was commanded in the Old Testament. You had to have seasons for mourning. They would have seasons for mourning for death. 30 days, 70 days, they'd have a season of mourning. They had seasons of mourning for a nation being invaded by enemies. They would have seasons of mourning over the sins of the people. Uh, the ruin of the nation, they would mourn. It's appropriate. It's healthy. You know, all this, uh, you guys know I do a lot of um, emotional healing work and, and help people be healed emotionally. Do you know how much of it is? They didn't properly mourn. Deal with those emotions in that moment. And so now all this time later, there's a whole hot mess over here. So my dad is a therapist and he used to say, he said it would be wild when you would counsel grieving widows and widowers. He said we would literally do like a session for it. And they would, um, the, the women would come in, he said, with a box of tissues. They'd be crying and mourning, mourning appropriately. The men would come in with their new honey. Because the men didn't want to deal with the pain. They just go out and replace the wife right away. And then, five years later, the woman would be in a healthy, stable, loving relationship. They, they moved on. They mourned it, and then they moved on. The men would be going through divorce. Because that wasn't real. But they didn't want to deal with the pain. Do you know how much of life is trying to not deal with the pain? When you don't want to deal with the pain, then you drink, then you do porn, then you shop, then you eat. Then you... Satan will give you lots of ways not to deal with the pain. You know what God says to do with the pain? He says, mourn it healthy in a healthy way. Deal with it. But I, I got to tell you news, and, and I can tell you this. The church is, we're, we, we got some work to do here. See, the Bible says, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, God blesses mourning. He blesses it. He doesn't say, shove it down. He blesses it. You know what? In these years of mourning, you know what I found myself having to do a bunch? Run from the Christians. Because you know what they do? They literally, I call it bumper sticking you. They give you Christian bumper stickers. Literally, you'd be mummified in them. You know, if you have faith, you're... You know, if you, you know, the joy of the Lord, that, I mean, literally, what about Job? Bludgeon you. I, I mean, I literally, you get beat up by scriptures. Instead of, you know what the Bible says? Romans 12, 15. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Zip it. Just sit down and cry with them. I, I literally was like, I need to find my non-Christian friends because they'll have empathy. 
And my Christians friends will beat me up with one power blow after the other. Instead of just letting me, this hurts. Jesus, before he went to the cross in Gethsemane, he wept and he sweat. They say it was blood that came out of his pores. He felt the pain. Guys, faith does not anesthetize us to the pain. See, people are like, well, if you have enough faith, you won't, you know, then you know. John the Baptist felt the pain. Jesus felt the pain. I felt the pain and you feel the pain if you're real. If you're real, you feel the pain and you better feel the pain of it or else you're going to be divorced in five years. You know, get out your box of tissues and deal with it in an honest way. And, and here's to the bumper sticker Christians. And listen, I've said to the Lord, I don't know if I was that Christian before this or not. I might have been. I have no idea because when you're doing it, you don't probably don't know. When you're doing it, you probably think you're helping. When you're doing it, you don't you haven't been through enough battles yourself. You don't have the maturity yet. So I don't know if I ever did that before or not. But I can tell you this. I've been on my face like, God, if I ever did, please forgive me for as long as I live, Lord. I understand suffering. And what Proverbs 25:20 says is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a womb. It's he who thoughtlessly sings joyful, cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart. You know what he says? He's like, you're cruel. He says, that's cruel. You make their wound hurt worse. They're already cold. You're taking their, your coat from them. How dare you rah, rah, rah them when they're suffering? You know what? You don't want, to, you don't want your, your happy day to be messed up, so you don't want to deal with, like, get over it already. Come on, let's just go have fun. No, get dirty. Mourn with them. Weep with them. Have empathy. Have compassion. And here's the other thing. So, first of all, the Bible says we will be known by the way we love each other. We're really good. We're the, we are really good at if someone comes in and they have an addiction. You know, they're addicted to porn. They're addicted to alcohol. They're, they're broken in sin. We have become very good at helping them. That we're good at. We're not so good at this. But this, the church is a hospital. And it has to help the brokenhearted too. Not just those laden in sin. But what about the John the Baptist who needs to be ministered to? What about the, the pillars? Do you know the, the suicide rate for pastors is through the roof? If you follow Charisma Magazine, the suicide rate for pastors is through the roof. You know why? Because the people that the church is meanest to are the pastors. When we should be the kindest to them because they're pouring out. So we need to, first of all, under, get it right here. Okay? Second of all, the thing the enemy will try to do, he will try to isolate you. Because you're hurting bad. And he'll also try to send the wrong people in. Two, two tactics of the enemy when you're, because see, you're very vulnerable when you're in pain like that. You're vulnerable. The enemy knows it. So he's going to send in. He's like, either isolate or I'm going to send you the wrong people. God wants us to be comforted by each other. He wants us, Jesus himself at the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought all of his disciples with him, remember? He didn't, he wasn't, even Jesus wasn't alone in his suffering. My goodness, if Jesus isn't alone in his suffering, how much more are we not supposed? We're not meant to be alone. 
We're meant to be in community. We're meant to love each other. We're meant to stand with each other. So we're meant to do that. And we're not just meant to pray, but we're meant to do something. James 2.16 says, if one of you says to them, he says at the beginning of this verse is, if somebody doesn't have what they need, the basics, he says, James 2 says, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. He's like, how dare you just say, oh, okay, I'll pray for you. Good luck with that. Do something. I have some of my most beautiful stories are these moments in my life. And Kim was driving up today, uh, yesterday, and we were talking. Her transmission in her car just went out. We prayed over this car. And her, her transmission went out. So Kim, which you guys probably don't know, is a twin. Her brother, she has a brother who's a twin. And her brother, who we prayed for for years, the brother had gotten off track and cut off the family. And it broke her heart. This woman mourned and wept over him. And we stood in prayer and stood in prayer and stood in prayer. And she couldn't reach out to him. She, there was no healthy way for her to engage him. But we waited for him. And God has done such a miracle. So her transition goes out yesterday. You know what happened yesterday? The most beautiful thing, because it's only been a couple of years that he's been back. Literally two years maybe now. So, and he just got remarried and... So he finds out her transmission went out. He calls her up. He's like, hey, sis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that for you. I said, wasn't that worth your transmission going out? That he, like you got that love? That heals way. God let your transmission go out so you could be loved like that, cared for like that. So back in the day, so, and we have stories of our lives. You guys know Kat, my friend from forever. We've been friends. We're sisters. We're far, we're, our relationship is with she's my sister. She, back in the day, she was a single mom, four kids. She had her kids in very expensive private school, and she was trying to find a way to survive, and her electricity got cut off. She had no electricity. And I emptied my savings account to pay her electric bill. It was a once-in-a-lifetime moment that I could... Now, Kat will never need me to do that again. I'm so glad I didn't miss the moment because it's something we love to talk about. It was this love bomb, right? It was a sacrifice. I laid myself down for her. But then, 15 years later, we were in a bad place financially. And, and I was up all night one night, and I was praying. I'm like, God, I don't know what we're going to do. And she calls me the next morning. She said, God told me to give you this, the exact amount we needed, and it was a big amount. Now, he, this is part of our love story. Do you know what you miss out on when you don't do a tangible thing in a tangible moment? You know, this, right now, I'm in the worst season of my life. I've had two horrible seasons of my life, and they're horrible. Like, let's just be real. They're horrible. But God's going to use it. My last horrible season was for my marriage. My goodness, I stand on that rock and preach on it all the time. How many marriages have I helped? God's going to use this. He's going to turn it around. But listen, it's awful now. Truth. It just is. But you know what? My beautiful Chinese sister, Susie, who is like my heart, my sister, man, she, she has poured herself out for me in this. It's a, it's a love that as long as I live, Dave and I have wept more tears of love and gratitude because of what she's done for us than I think we've wept of tears because we're overwhelmed. That she shows up. She said to me, that when, when I first told her what was going on, we were sitting on this couch and Fanny was here and Uncle Dick and Susie and Dave and me and we told her, we hadn't told her how bad it was. And 
We told her what was going on. And Fanny's like, I'm going to pray. And Susie says, I'm going to let her pray and I'm going to do something. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> And uh, she prays, too. She sends me texts of praise, but that's my girl. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Tia Crouch. She's not here, but she's in our community. She's one of the most extraordinary women. That woman has done tangible things. That has, I, I can't, and you know what? She does them for people all the time. I hear stories all the time. She never tells anybody. She never, do you know people like, who do the good things, they like to tell everybody? Not Tia, you never, she never talks about it. You never know about it. She just does it. And that woman has come through for our family over and over and over. And I say to her, I don't understand. Why do you lay yourself out like this for us? She, she's not part of the ministry. She's not, she just loves us. Helping us tangibly in an, an extremely difficult time. Don't just pray, church. Get up and do something. Don't super spiritualize all this. We get so super spiritual. People have needs. Meet them. Show up because you'll never have the chance again. I'm so glad I didn't miss that chance with Kat. We love that part of our story. I'm so glad she didn't miss that chance with me. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I take the, Kimberly takes the love bomb with her of what just happened for her. This is a gift, so we don't want to miss this. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 2 and verse 5, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fill the law of Christ for each one of you should carry their own burden. And I've talked about this in boundaries before. But one is you carry your own burden when it's your responsibility, right? So you, people shouldn't, listen, when people are burdening everybody else with stuff and they're not taking care of their own business, God's like, take care of your business. That's what that part means. Don't burden every don't 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 fix people's problems that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let them carry that burden. But when it's too big and it's more than you can bear, then the, we're supposed to show up for each other. That's when we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. There's a time to show up. We want we don't want to miss it. We want to be there for each other. Because guess what? The times are getting harder, not easier. And God told us they would. He tells us the end times are awful times. This isn't going to get easier. we got to stand by each other. We've got to be there for each other. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Refuse to do it alone. The third thing is be very careful who you entrust yourself to in this season. Because like I said, God will send in the wrong people. And the right people. I mean, God will send in the right people. The enemy will send in the wrong people. You have to have discernment. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart and guard it extra, extra closely when you're in pain. you got to be careful. The enemy will try to send in the wrong people. And people are really, as I'm establishing, people are very important in your journey and in their journey for each other in those painful moments. So be very careful. Our tendency when we're in a lot of pain, our first inclination, it's natural, it's innate, it's how God originally wanted it to be, is to go to family. That's our first inclination. But we have a lot of family dynamics that are exhibited for us in the Bible that might cause you to make sure you think about that. Make sure you think about it. We know David, 
Let's just, I'm going to go through a few. But David, we know he was the one, you know, all the other brothers came before Samuel. He was the one they didn't even think of. He's left out there. We know there's parent hurt with David. Psalm, he wrote Psalm 27:10. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. So first of all, some of you don't have that. Some of you do. And if you do, that's such a blessing. But if you don't, you're going to see, I'm going to show you some things. Don't feel destitute. We're going to talk through this. But his, David, David, man, what the stuff he went through, you guys have read his story. You know, the stuff he went through, his mom and dad, they weren't, they weren't there. That wasn't his support. Um, but then you have the story of his brothers and his brothers. Here he is in the most important battle of his life facing Goliath. And it's one-on-one -on -one when you need your family the most. And he is about to be launched into his calling. And what happens? Let's read 1 Samuel 17, 28 and 30. When what David's brother, when David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men, because David's asking all these questions about Goliath, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? Who do you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's insulting him. Like, you're just supposed to be back home. You just have a few sheep. You're responsible for your nothing. And he's putting them down. And with whom? Oh, I read that. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. He's calling prideful and wicked. I mean, listen, he's cutting them to the core. You came down only to watch the battle. But look at David's response. He's like, what have I done now? Can I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him before him. Here, here's the thing. He didn't mud wrestle with that whole thing. But he also didn't chase it, beg, plead, try to fix it. He just turned away, moved on. He let it go. Sometimes we're holding on to some things we should be letting go. You got examples like Moses. Moses had his brother Aaron, his sister Miriam. Now, Miriam, at one point, was a wonderful sister. She risked, her life. She, she risked her life to save his life. But then, down the road, God's raising Moses up, and Moses doesn't want to do it alone. He's scared to do it alone, and so he brings his brother in. But his brother didn't have the maturity to sustain it. His brother actually ended up being a constant detriment to the nation. He constantly, they were, you know, he made the golden calf. He did all kinds of things he shouldn't have done. Eventually, Miriam and Aaron revolted against Moses. And God struck Miriam with leprosy because God defended him. And so Moses ends up praying for Miriam. The whole camp has to wait while she goes outside and waits to be cleaned. It disrupts everything. But the point is, his family relationship, he didn't really put it where he should have put it. He gave it too much elevation, and it caused a lot of harm. Sometimes we need to look at the truth about what our relationship is. You've got Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. You know, the brothers are sent into the pit. They send him to the pit. They send him to slavery. They want to kill him. You know, worst brothers ever. And we know about how he showed, they show back up. And, but what does Joseph do? See, we've gotten too quick to not guard our heart with family. 
for some reason we say if there's DNA, we're not supposed to guard our heart, but that's not biblical at all. What does Joseph do? Joseph tests them repeatedly with some pretty extreme tests. Then he lives in the truth of the moment for who they are now. And who they were now is changed. So he forgave them and he blessed them. But he tested it first. Now, Moses probably should have done a test, who are they now with Miriam and Aaron? And he would have found out that moved the opposite direction. They used to be good, not so good now. So you got to live in the truth of what is. We like to kind of maybe not really live so honestly about family sometimes. Got to be truthful. Got to live in truth. Only the truth will set you free. Living in denial is not faith. I want to say that again. Living in denial is not faith. Faith is facing the truth and dealing with it. That's faith. And only truth sets us free, the Bible says. And a lot of times with family, man, we're kind of living a lie. Because we think that's the Christian way. I know I've made these mistakes. I thought the Christian way was just, you know, taking it and taking it and taking it somehow. But I want to show you the best example of all. And I, there's a lot more. These were just a few. But the best example of all is Jesus. So we know from John 7, 5, even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. So here Jesus is, man, he's out there killing himself to serve, and he's fighting the Pharisees, and he's fighting all this stuff, but his brothers didn't believe in him. So siblings, you know, siblings can kind of be like that, right? But not mamas, right? Not mamas. Not good mamas. Not good mamas. Let me tell you something. The Virgin Mary... Messed it up bad. Hurt him bad. Let's see how he handled it. Let's, let's read. Mark 3, starting in verse 11. Whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of Jesus, the spirits would throw them into the ground in front of him, shrieking, you're the son of God. So I just wanted to establish that, first of all, this is happening in the context of deliverance. And there is no place that Satan likes to get in the middle of more than deliverance. He likes to bring as much opposition as possible to deliverance because it is the greatest, most powerful example of Jesus defeating Satan on this earth. So he will send every type of opposition to try to stop you or stop it. So this is what's happening. Jesus is in the middle of doing deliverance. When his family, starting verse 21, hears what's happening, they try to take him away. His family says he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the religious law who arrived from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Satan, the spirit of the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So wait, let me just go back. So here you got outside where, of where Jesus is doing this. You have Jesus's family siding with the Pharisees who kill him. Serious family betrayal, guys. And his family saying he's out of his mind on one side, and the fairies are, are saying he's casting out demons because he's possessed by devils. And let me tell you, I, I want to say this. It is very, um, when people talk about deliverance, I know it is holy ground. Be very careful. 
Because in the context of deliverance, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. When they blaspheme Jesus about deliverance, that's when he said, it, be careful when you talk about deliverance. It's serious. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a sin with eternal consequences, he told them. This is because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit when he was doing deliverance. Then down to verse 28. Is it not there? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my brother? Who, are my, who is my mother? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my mother, my sister, and my brother. Hmm. Just let that think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. See, we say chase, 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 chase. We have very little example of the dynamics within Jesus' family. Very little, hardly any. This is one of the only examples we have. He's not chasing. David's not chasing. It's not healthy. They're, they're standing in the wrong. I got to move on with my calling. I love you but I'm not chasing you, and I'm moving on to chosen family. It's a painful thing to do. It's not, it's not what God wants. I mean, God, doesn't, God loves family. God doesn't want family to be broken. But if it is, you're not out of luck. You're, you're not marginalized. You're not left alone. You're, you're, God will provide you. God said, look, I have mothers and brothers and sisters right here. You will not be left orphaned. Just keep pursuing the Lord. Just keep doing his will. Just keep, you know, I, I wonder to myself, why is that one of the only stories we have of Jesus' family dynamics of all? Like, why is that? Like, he didn't give us any other really hardly stories. I feel like he knew that someday there was going to be an Instagram. And I feel like he knew that during Christmas season, the suicide would go skyrocketing because people would look at all the fake Instagram stories of all the perfect families. That is a complete mythological, it's, it's Hollywood, it's pretend. And they would see it and they'd be like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my family? Why am I not loved? Why are we so screwed up? We're the worst. Ah, really? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Your story's my story. Man, my brothers, they were terrible. My, even my mom, even the Virgin Mary got it right. And, and you know, got it wrong. I, I mean, he's like, listen, I'm going to keep it real. What I love about Jesus is he keeps it real. There's no fake. There's no perfect Instagram story with Jesus. He blows that stuff up. He's like, I'm not going to be fake about this. I'm going to be real about it. Man, this is how it went down. The Virgin Mary wasn't perfect. She messed it up. She hurt me bad. I had to say, she's not my mom right now. This is my mom. Man. But see, we go chasing stuff and staying in stuff and trying to make stuff work that we really don't have an example for in the scripture. And you never hear this. So people think that to be godly is to literally let themselves be tortured to death. And it's bringing no benefit to anyone. 
Just saying, this is the scripture. I mean, in the end, it's going to be your decision what you're going to do with it. But some of us need to realize the truth and figure out what God's calling us to do. And if you don't have to live in that, then you are so blessed. And go home and, and kiss your DNA and hug them extra tight because you don't have to feel this pain. But do you know what? Of all the counseling and all the stuff I do, most people do. Most people do. It might not be everybody. It might be some of it. It might be most of it. It might be part of it. It might be a fraction of it. But it's the, here's the thing. Living in the true power of Christ is offensive to people. We see in Matthew 13, 57, they took offense at Jesus. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. He says, listen, a lot of times your own people are going to reject you most. So are you willing to suffer that? Are you willing to suffer that? Peter said something, Mark 10, 28 through 31. Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother or sister or mother or father or child or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. We got to keep this thing real. But many who are the greatest now will, at least, or will be least important in the kingdom. And those who seem the least important now, they'll be the greatest then. You know, I look for people who are mature in God, and I look for ways to honor them. Because a lot of times they're the least, but they're really the greatest. But he says he's going to give it back to you times 100 in this life. So whatever you give up, just give it time. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen right away. But in time, he will. We used to, Thanksgiving used to be the most painful holiday for about, Reagan, what was it, maybe four or five years. We had, we just, every, holidays are hard. When your heart is hurt over your family, holidays are hard. Um, and we just, we would, we, we tried everything. We tried to travel. We tried to do other things. And it just, there was a void. And I just, every Thanksgiving, I ended up sobbing because I'm a family person. You guys know I got lots of love to give. I love I love hard, but sometimes you can't make stuff right because it's not within your power to fix it. And so you have to do this. You got to say, I can't fix this and I can't live in that because it's going to stop what God has called me to do. I'm going to have to be like King David and just turn away and be like, okay, can't do it. And so we lived in that for a long time and that was years and it was painful. We would dread Thanksgiving coming. And it didn't matter what trip we took or where we went, it hurt on Thanksgiving. And then God began to bring us chosen family. And we got our Fanny and our Sherry, and then we got our cat, and we got our full. And our table is packed. We have 20, 30, Susie, Dick, we have 20, 30 people here at Thanksgiving. It is, we run out of space because God gives it back. He does. You don't have to cling to anything. You don't have to cling to any any person, any, any, any location, any, anything. Cling to God. God will make it right. Here's my takeaway, though, when I read that um, story of, of Mary, because I, 
I guarantee there was at some point a very tearful apology from Mary. I guarantee you at some point she realized, oh my goodness, I sided with the enemies who killed the Messiah. My own son, how could I have gotten it so wrong? I guarantee you at some point she was humbled and I guarantee you at some point she wept and she said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And of course he forgave her because we know on the cross he said to his best friend, he's like, this is your son and this is your mother and take care of each other. So they were mended. They, it got worked out, you know, but even Jesus had to work stuff out with his mom. You know, if you got mama issues, even Jesus had to. But here's my thing. When I, when I hear that story, now I'm a mom. And you guys know I have a beautiful 17-year-old daughter here who's my heart and has a powerful calling on her life. And this, this message is when you, have a, a, when you really walk with God, which she does and I do and we do it together, when you really walk with God, it's hard. It's hard. You've got to be willing to stay the course. And I know she has a call again. I know life is going to be hard enough to walk it out. And I am committed. I, Dave and I have said to her over and over again, until our dying breath, we will never put this hurt on you. God help us. Uh, listen, we, us parents, why are all these stories in the Bible? So we're learned from them. Learn from them. So we can learn as parents. We get to make the choice now for our kids. I'm like, I will never hurt you like that. I will fight for you and stand with you. I will not fade away. I will not fade away. I will burn out by your side till I'm dead and you bury me. I am so committed to not letting this be my story. So, you know, let's learn a parenting thing from this. Your kids got a calling. The enemy's going to try to come between you and them. Don't let them. Don't listen to the deception and the lie because he's a deceiver. But what we do know, and this is a really cool ending to that thing, is at some point also Jesus' brothers worked it out because in the upper room in Acts 1, 13 and 14, they have a whole list of people who were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. And finally, when the Holy Spirit came, Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and all the brothers of Jesus were there. Somehow, we don't know, we don't get to hear the details how it worked out, but at some point they realized they were wrong. Jesus was right. And James, which is one of my very favorite books in the whole Bible, is Jesus' brother. Wrote one of the best books of the Bible. So you know what? I don't know. It worked for him to not chase after that. It worked for him to say, this is my mother, these are my brothers. I'm just going to stay the course that God's called me to stay on. I'm not going to mud wrestle with that. I'm just going to keep going. He doesn't fight. He just, but, but here's the thing. Peace is not the absence of conflict. You know how I know? Because Jesus was the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. He had conflict with his family. He had conflict with the religious leaders nonstop. So peace is not the religious, is not the absence of conflict. It is standing in honesty, standing in truth. Work is trusting God. That's what peace is, not conflict avoidance. Conflict avoidance feeds the problem. You want to feed that demon that's trying to come between you and your family? Feed it with all that attention. Feed it. That's not what, that's not what works. So we've, got, so we've got family discussed here. The next thing we need to talk about are friends. 
So Jesus says, my family are my friends, and my friends are my family. This is my chosen family. So what happens with that? Well, we've got stories of this in the Bible. We have stories of Job, and we all know the story of Job. His friends showed up for a week in his awful suffering. You guys know he lost everything. His children, his wealth, his home. His, then he's inflicted with terrible, excruciating, painful physical problems. And so his friends show up. Thank God they show up. And they sit there for one week and they don't speak. And that is such a gift. You know, in these, in this time, and this time I've been through, I have had several times, especially as of late, with the just really gut-wrenching disappointment and loss and just different things happening. I literally, for two days, didn't speak. I just couldn't talk. When I get in pain, I get quiet. I get quiet because, first of all, I'm afraid to speak because a lot of times when we're in pain, we really sin with our mouth. And so I'd rather be quiet. And so literally for two days, I didn't talk. And I was like, man, I can't, if somebody would have noticed I was missing, which no one did, and come and just sat with me and not said a word, and just been there, my goodness, what a comfort that would have been. You know, there's something to learn from that, because that's the part they got right. And then, after a week, they're the example of the worst possible friends in the world. And they literally turn from good to evil in a snap, because when they finally start talking, they're horrible, 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 abusive friends in Job's suffering. And we need to learn from that, because they, they come in as if they're, all they talk about the whole time is God. They're very religious. They're bumper sticker Christians. They beat him up with the Bible. You know, they bludgeoned him as if they were experts in who God is. They didn't know God at all. And in the end, God shows up and he says, Job is right. All of y'all are terrible. I am so angry with you that you would speak of me as if you're some expert. Talk down to Job like that when he is the righteous man. But I'm going to forgive you. Job's going to pray for you. And then I'm going to give him double everything that he lost. But we have an example of what to do at the beginning, what not to do at the end. We got, we, we got stuff to learn from. We have beautiful examples of friends. You know, the, the friends that had the paralyzed friend, they opened the hole in the roof. They lower him down for Jesus to heal. And, and the Bible says that he was healed because of the friend's faith. Isn't that beautiful? So we have examples of great friends. But we also have examples, and the most important one is Jesus. God loved Jesus always. Always taking the hits. And Jesus' friends, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes the, all the apostles, then he takes his three best friends, Peter, James, John. He goes with his three best friends. They go off into the, the garden. He says, pray with me. This is my greatest hour of need. I've never needed a friend, and I've never needed you like I need you now, and you are my chosen family and I don't got my blood, my blood's not showing up. I need you to show up. And so he goes away to pray and he's sweating blood. He's in such a distress and he's crying out to God. And he goes back and checks Peter, James, and John. They're asleep. Totally fail him. Pick their own selfish needs over his needs. Epic fail. He wakes him up. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, I need you. You gotta show up. I'm in trouble. Pray with me. Three times he goes back. Do you know they could have been the hero of the savior of the world? They could have. 
they kind of gotten over themselves and their own their own selfish needs for just a minute. He was going to die for their sins and they can't even get over themselves for a minute. There will ne- that opportunity will never be there again for all of history. His best friends could have shown up for him in that moment and they don't. They don't, they miss it. You know, it's like there's never, that story could have been written so differently. His friends interceded for him all night. They fought for him. They, you know, and then, of course, we know Peter goes and totally blows it and, and denies him completely. But we, we, we got to, I mean, they had a moment to be there for the Savior. I mean, think about that. How do you miss that moment? So we don't want to miss the moments. That we don't want to miss the moments. So you've got to think about who you entrust yourself to. And the one thing you need to look at most is who is spiritually mature. What we like to do with our friends is go to whoever knows us best and we know them best and who loves us best and they love us best. But that's not actually the litmus. The litmus is who knows Jesus best, who who walks most closely with him. Don't go to who loves you best, knows you best. I mean, you can, but you got to be careful because they might be very immature. They might not have any godly wisdom. You know, you need somebody who has fought the battles and overcome. Fought those spiritual battles and won. Um, I got this text on Thanksgiving from one of my friends, and she says, pray for the people that pour wisdom into you. That wisdom didn't come without pain. And she sent me this beautiful note and said, thank you. You've poured out so much wisdom, and I know it's come with pain. That's true. Look for those people. Look for those people because they will not bumper sticker Christianity you. And the people who are too selfish to get down in the thing, they're like, just get on with it. I want to, you know, I want to enjoy myself. I don't want to deal with all this hurt and pain and blah, 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 blah. Don't go there. Don't open yourself up to that because that's going to hurt worse. You've got to be very wise. Think about where you go. Think about where you go. Look for the godly. Look for the warriors who have fought and overcome. It's interesting when Jesus, you know, when the woman was caught in adultery and she said, and they said, you know, they were so excited. They wanted Jesus to cast the first stone. And he says, whoever among you has never sinned, cast the first stone. You know the story. But then it said, the oldest ones left first. The younger ones left last because the younger ones were full of all that self-righteous zeal. The old ones knew Listen, look for the same with Christian people that you're looking for in the middle of a battle. Look for the older ones. Not necessarily age-wise, but maturity-wise. Look for those who have the battle scars. Because the maturity will be your wisdom, your guide. That's who's got to guide you, those who know God. Close to Him. They don't have to be close to you. They need to be close to Him. I want to tell you guys some beautiful stories of, you know, heroes for me in, in these times because these extreme times, God sends you. In the middle of COVID, Reagan and I went, back when churches were shut down, we went to this very spirit-filled church. It was just the two of us. We got there late because we're late for everything. And we sat in the very, very back and all the lights were down. It was very dark. And we were just in the back seat worshiping, blah, blah, blah. And somewhere in the middle of the service, a woman comes up behind me And she says, I have a prophetic word for you. She says, the day is coming when the battle is going to be too heavy for you. 
And just like Moses with Aaron and her, God's going to send people to hold your hands up. You know how you held the stick up for them to win the battle? She said, God will send people to hold your arms up and the battle will be won. What's interesting is it's probably a year later, somebody told me that that woman was, they have a prophecy ministry. She was the head of the ministry. I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was. She said, that's the, they're, they're, that's the head of the prophetic ministry. So that was a couple years ago. That was the beginning of COVID. Well, I'm in that battle now. And <laughs> I just want to tell you guys what the beautiful things God has done in the middle of this battle. He sent it. He put us in this church, Maplegate. And many of you have asked, is there a, is there a church? Back through all these years that I've been teaching, people will be like, what church do you go to? I'm like, I don't have one I recommend, honestly. I mean, you're looking for that depth and that. I just haven't had one. Well, I have one I recommend. And the thing that I can do now, and I've brought tons of people there. But the thing, the the comfort I've had in closing this down is they're not without a home. You guys are going to get this there. You need depth. You want the spirit? Go to this church. We didn't find, this church arose from COVID and it was the most extraordinary thing. Alan and Betty, who are normally here, but they're traveling. One Easter, they're just like, we're not going to shut our church down. We're going to, they have a farm. They had a big cross in front of the farm. They sent out a text to a bunch of their friends, show up. If you want to have service, show up. Well, they showed up. The spirit was so thick and so powerful that they just kept coming back and it's turned into a church now. Mm-hmm. So during the summer and the spring and the fall, we meet in lawn chairs in front of that cross. And this body of believers is growing. You know why it's growing and growing and growing? Because it's authentic and raw and real and it's a body of believers it's not plastic it's not pretend it's it's the real thing and when when hungry believers come and they find it they're just like oh my goodness it's not you know smoke machines and skinny jeans it's real you know and so we so we get this great church and and through this process so i didn't know we were going to You know, we find that church in the summer. I think it was like around May that we found it. And I didn't know that by September we were going to be, I mean, we've been in this, we've been in an ongoing battle for, like I said, for like 10 years. But I didn't know it was going to literally just start, Satan's going to have his foot on our neck. We were going to be down for the count, you know. I didn't know that that was going to happen by September. And it started with Reagan almost dying. A lot of you already know that story. And in the middle of that, and I was, we were brand new to the church because we had traveled a lot. So I hadn't even been there that much. But what had happened is I was supposed to be in Arizona doing ministry, and I met sweet little Joyce. Joyce, raise your hand. She's here today. I met this beautiful woman in the bathroom, and we connected. And because I wasn't in Arizona doing that, we had an extreme divine encounter. And God did a bunch of amazing things for her. But I really didn't know anybody's phone numbers, but as I'm following the ambulance to the, to the um, hospital with Reagan and, and the thing, and I have mentioned before, I had a complete and utter meltdown in that moment. And then after I was done with my meltdown, I sent Joyce a text. I didn't expect anything. But what I found out later was that whole church stopped their church and prayed and lifted up holy hands. And they prayed. Then they recorded it. People I didn't even know sent me the recording. And, and God did a work at that church and in Reagan. And we walked out of that hospital that day. I mean, we, and they didn't even know what, what, what that was. But, you know, we had that. And then after that, Jody Tester, one of, the, one of the elders, started reaching out to me. Didn't know him. Do you guys need ministry? Do you need help? I've never had that happen in my life. 
I'm like, yes, we do. They show up. They fought for us. He blew that shofar thing over our house. And they, we did, Chance was one of them. That was the first time we met Chance. And Chance was sitting here. We did communion. And as we were sitting there doing communion, my white dog, Khaki, who's blind and deaf and completely insane, she definitely is out of her mind, he's holding the bread under the table, and she comes and eats his bread. He never... <laughs> He never tells us. We just found out he did a sermon that Reagan was at, and he tells the story. He just laughed and somehow snuck a new one. But anyway, but, um, but they came and they fought for us. And then, and Jody texts me regularly. And Joyce texts me regularly, all the time. And it's, it's these powerful texts. It's in the moment. It's the scripture. It's the word. It's the encouragement. It's the blessing. It's the filling that I've needed, that where I'm like, I'm going down, I'm going down. Lord, I need oxygen. Where's the oxygen mask? Bing, someone from Maplegate. Brand new body of believers. Just Alan and Betty. Alan, I'm going to tell you another story about Alan later, but they are extraordinary. And Alan has chased us out of the church. We've left at the end, and, and he's surrounded by people, and we're surrounded by people, and there's great fellowship. And so I've left without connecting. And I can't tell you the times he's chased us down. You know, when someone's really suffering, chase them. I'm not talking the, about the attention-seeking when people are not, you know, I'm not ta- I'm talking about people really suffering. Chase them. Alan chased us out. Hey, guys, don't leave. No, I don't, you know, just, and repeatedly God has had spiritual words. One of them was that we were, we hadn't told anybody we were planning to sell this house, and God gave him the word and confirmed it. And we were just like, oh my goodness, thank God that they, you know, so chase them. You know, so anyway, but um, so we've had these elders and these wonderful men of God. And they held up, Maplegate held up my right hand. And then about a week or two ago, I can't remember how many now, I sent out a text to Caven and Sony. Sony's how this ministry got started. I said to them, we're not okay. They've known us for about 15 years. They've watched us battle and battle and battle and battle and battle and battle. I've never sent out a message saying I'm not okay. I'm always like, God's got this. This is, you know, know, we're fighting, but, you know, I've never reached out for help. He knew that I'm reaching out. He's like, they're in trouble. The next morning, I get a text from Sony. Sony is a doctor. She owns her own practice. It's a very demanding, busy practice. She said to me, I am setting my alarm all through the day to stop and pray for you. And she said, I'm going to do that till you're out of this. I was like, oh, my goodness. With her responsibility, she's fighting for me like that, our family. So I was in tears. I call my husband. I tell him. A couple hours later, I get a message from Caven. This is Caven for you. Those, raise your hand, Caven. For those of you who don't know, most of you were here when he spoke. But, um, you know, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We've never lived in the same location. We've always lived states and states apart. But, man, the DNA of Jesus we are family. That's my chosen family. You know, I mean, these are, they are family. We've walked it out for years together. And Caven sends a message. He said, I'm going to grab two of my friends, two pastor friends. These are the two friends, Brad and Caleb. Caleb. Brad and Caleb, these men don't even know us. They drove from Virginia this morning. 
They're here. You know what they're doing afterwards? Caven wrote out a schedule. They're going to read the entire book of Revelation over our home. And then he wrote out Caven, Caleb, Brad, who's going to read what? I mean, he's so organized, which, of course, the opposite of me. I'm so flat by the seat of my pants. I'm like, look at this schedule. Oh, my goodness. I've never had a schedule in my life. I love this. And then this is the song. And, and he said, it's going to take us at least two hours. We're going to pray and worship over your home. He said, you have cast out so many demons in this home. You have fought so many battles. You've seen so many people. Give you. He said, we're coming to fight for you. Two people I don't even know. Two men of God. My brother. I mean, he's a pastor. You know, Caden's a pastor. Do you know how busy pastors are? I do. My father used to be one. They don't have time for this. They're in another state. Look what God sent in. Holding up my other hand. God will send the help. Might not come from the places you thought it would or you would want it to. God will send it. God will send it. And you know what? Lots of random, you know, like I said in the beginning, this isn't normal. All this crazy stuff happens. I mean, we have, this has been our life for so long. And God has sent, you know, we have dogs die. Fanny, Sherry, Cat, they're having our dogs cremated. They're taking them out. They're, you know, we're, Reagan, we had this whole battle with them trying to take our license. It was an unjust ticket. There's a, there's this a sheriff over here in Jamestown that's doing this. And so we, we had to go to court over and over and over again. It was the most awful experience. Fanny and Sherry were there for every single one. And it was awful. And I kept saying to them, listen, you guys don't have to keep going. Like, we're okay now. Blah, blah. We wouldn't miss this. We'd get in the car. We'd pray. We'd cry. We'd worship. We'd get over there. And then we would sit through the whole day. And at the end, they'd be like, sorry, you have to come back. They did it month for four months, this drug on. I'm just saying, this stuff happens. But if you walk with God, God will send the people to love you, to strengthen you, to help you. And by the way, Caven has said, anybody who wants to stay afterwards for this revelation, it's going to be powerful. Stay if you can. It's going to be powerful. So listen, this journey, it's bloody. Christianity, it's bloody. It's messy. All of y'all who want these neat little pristine churches and you sing three songs and then you talk for 15 minutes and you talk about pie in the sky stuff and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you could go, and it might make you feel a little bit better for a little while, and that's good. There's still good to it, but the fact is, you're going to need roots. You're going to need to know that this is bloody and messy. You know what's messy? Family. You know what's messy? Marriage. They're worth fighting for. Fight. I have fought for my marriage. I bled to death. And then I was resurrected, and I'm so glad I am because I have an amazing husband, an amazing daughter. I fought for this family. Fight. It's bloody and it's messy. The Christianity is messy and bloody. The cross is bloody. The sacrifices that they had to do for sin, this isn't neatly packaged up with a bow. It's not. That's not real. That's a pretend Christianity. We're called to be warriors. Look at all the context to warriors. You know, fight the good fight. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in affairs of, this, of civilian life. Put on the full armor of God. You know, it's verse after verse after verse. King David said, bless the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. 
This armchair Christianity is not real. It is powerless. It's weak. And that is why Satan is consuming our marriages, our children, our schools, our government, our entertainment, everything. And if we are not warriors, if we are not willing to fight, if we're going to be these, the, 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 the bumper sticker Christians, you're going down. You will. You will be devoured. Because Satan is roaming lions, seeking whom he might devour. Who might he be able to devour? People who are not in the battle. You sit in that easy chair, clicking your TV. Guess what? He's coming. You better learn how to fight and stand because it's getting harder. And the victory is ours. The victory is ours. But you're going to have to have some grit and some fortitude. We have weak Christians, gritless, spineless Christians. And that is the problem. God didn't create us to be that way. Grit, courage, bravery, pluck, metal, backbone, spirit, strength of character, strength of will, moral fiber, steel nerve, fortitude, toughness, hardiness, resolve, resolution, determination, tenacity, perseverance, endurance, guts, and spunk. That's what we're supposed to look like, guys. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you are filled with a fight and a fire. Here's the thing. Your feelings will tell you to quit. We are a very feeling-driven society. Very feeling-driven. My feelings will not dictate my faith. My faith will dictate my feelings. I'm going to master those feelings. I'm going to master them because they will shipwreck my faith you let your feelings guide you around you will be shipwrecked you'll shipwreck your marriage you'll shipwreck your kids you'll shipwreck it all don't let your feelings be your guide they're liars they're deceivers the word of god the fight the spunk courage courage in the midst of pain we already have to have courage every day but in the middle of pain you got to have a lot more courage and courage comes from conviction when you are convinced and convicted that God will come through in his promises, that God wins, that Satan will be defeated, when you are convict and, and you walk in courage, it's because you have conviction that when you do it God's way, they're, they're, they're suffering. They're suffering, but it's worth it because the, the battle's won. Do I even, I, the only way I even remember the suffering I went through all those years with my marriage previously is because it's now my victory story. I don't have any hurt from that. It's like when you have a baby. You don't remember. It's worth it. It's worth it. I, I don't. Now I'm in a new fight. I'm in a new battle. Someday I'm not going to remember the pain of this. I'm just going to remember the victory. I'm going to hold it up on God's trophy and say, look what God did. And in the middle, look at all the people. Look at these great men of God, these pastors who drove from another state. You know, that's three hours away. They drove here. They came. They, they don't even know me. I'm going to have, these stories will be written in my heart. These are written in the book of Acts in heaven. The Bible's still being written. These are Bible stories. You have your Bible stories. Your God will sh send you your Joyce's. We met in the bathroom. Your Joyce's in the bathroom. Your Maple Gate Church. Your, the, your sissy. Your cat. Your Fanny Sherry. Your whatever. God will send you them. And they'll show up for you big time. You won't be in this alone, but it's going to hurt. So you better be ready to fight. You're going to have to have some grit. But, and, and listen, all of stories in the Bible and in history, you know what they are? They're stories on the other side of courage. All the stories we love, 
They're all stories on the other side of courage. Not giving up when everything you wanted to. But there's also a part of this where you're going to have to just stand alone. And you got to kind of understand that too. You got to be willing to stand alone because so many people have shipwrecked their calling because they don't want to do it alone. And, and truly, Moses did damage to his calling, right? Because he brought in Aaron when he shouldn't have because he didn't want to do it alone. The, Noah, for 130 years, he looked like he was crazy. That's a long time. You look like you are literally, like he was a laughing stock. But on day 131, saying, Joseph, 17 years, the dreamer, had the dream. He's going to be this big pharaoh. He's, gonna, he's the dreamer. He, he had to go that thing alone. He had to look crazy to everybody. But on year 18, who was bowing in front of him? And be careful because in the middle of this thing, you're going to be like, did I hear God? I must have missed it. I got to hear it wrong. I, be careful who you say that to because there will be some people like, yeah, you did. You're dumb. You're, dumb. you're crazy. You're nuts. You're, you're turning into a religious freak. Be careful. Be careful. Only speak it. Now, speak it to a mature believer who's been through their own battles. Because maybe, maybe you do need to have some adjustment. But only take it from those who have gone before, walk in maturity, the elders, the, the, the men of God who are wise, godly. The grit that it's going to take. Jesus hung on that cross all alone. He didn't forfeit it. So the other side is, if you got to go it alone, then go it alone. Whatever you have to do. Don't forfeit the calling. Don't forfeit the power. Don't give up. We don't quit. Christians don't quit. We don't quit. Don't quit. It's not an option. My father, when he was in um, um, West Point, he, they, back then, he, he was a West Point cadet, and my father's in his 80s, and it was brutal what they put people through, and a very small percentage made it. And I'm like, Daddy, how did you make it through all that? He said, I just decided I wasn't going to quit. No matter what, I'm not quitting. I did that at one point with my marriage. I'm like, I'm just not quitting. God told me not to. I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. Either God's going to work the miracle, or I'm going to die trying. I refuse to quit. I refuse to quit. You refuse to quit. Don't quit. I got this beautiful from one of my Maplegate girls. I met this wonderful woman of God, and she sent me this this morning. She put her armor on and set her sights on God and vowed to finish her race in victory. Amen. You know, this came from this wonderful woman, Autumn Martin. She's in our body of believers. Y'all need to check out this church, I'm telling you. But anyway, she served God in Seattle, and she was a worship leader and she was on fire for God and she was in a car wreck. She's a twin with a brother, interestingly enough, like Kim. And when she was born, she was born with this fusion in her neck. They said, don't ever get in a car wreck, whatever you do. She was in a car wreck. Three weeks later, she got in another car wreck. It, she was stuck in Seattle. She couldn't leave because of this whole insurance thing. It had to be in that state. She had no family. She couldn't walk. She couldn't, she was, her life was, God told, I didn't know her story. She didn't know my story. She reached out. I was in Arizona serving, and she reached out to Reagan. She said, Reagan, God told me I'm supposed to become friends with your mom. I need to meet your mom. So Reagan's a go-between. She, she gets us connected. She's like, we need to be friends. So here's the thing. We've been, in the, we've been in the foxhole. I met her. We know each other. 
Do you know what? She didn't, for two years, she didn't, she didn't lead worship. She couldn't. She could barely stand. She got up a couple Sundays ago for the first time and led worship again, scared to death. Because Satan's like, I'm going to kill you if you do. Warrior, didn't quit. And when one warrior meets another, you're just a sisterhood. I'm like, I get you. You get me. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit any of this. You know, Elijah prayed that there would be that rain. You guys know the story. And he prayed, sends a servant, go look. No rain. Go look. No rain. Twice. Go look. No rain. He's crazy. He's not giving up. He's crazy. He's not giving up. He's going. He's going. He's going. Seventh time. The fist, the cloud was the fist, the, the size, the, the cloud the size of man's fist. That's a tiny little crowd. He's like, hallelujah. I got my, he didn't quit. Naaman had to be dunked. How many times? Seven. The sixth time it looked like absolutely nothing had changed. Nothing looks different. Thank God he didn't quit on the sixth time. It was the seventh time. Interestingly enough, seven up. You know what that's named after? Six down, six failures, seventh time, seven up. I'm like, makes me like that drink. I don't even like it, but I like it. Because guess what? It says in the word that the righteous will fall many times, but they'll always get back up. And in the end, all you have to do is get up one more time than that failure. Just one more time. Our Christmas story, our neat, little danger Christmas story that I have now bloodied, born in adversity, died in adversity, but Friday came, Friday came, death, mourning, sadness, heartbreak, confusion, and then Sunday, for all of eternity. Do you mind the suffering? Do you mind the suffering when it lasts for eternity? The blessing, the victory that affects every single one of these saints did not quit. We will defeat Satan. Yes. We will. We will defeat him. We're going to defeat him in our family. We're going to defeat him in our marriage. We're going to defeat him, defeat him, defeat him, defeat him. And you know what? You're going to have battle scars. It's not going to happen all neat and clean. Uh-uh. Going to be bloody. Going to hurt. You're going to want to quit. You're going to have to be a fighter. You're going to have to have grit. I love this. Um, I like, Kimmy, you click this while I read because I'm going to read it from here. I, I'm going to read this one portion of Revelation, um, which Caven and his wonderful pastor friends will be reading to us today. And I just want to read this, though. Revelations 12, starting verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. When you think about heaven, people have this fake view like, oh, there's on harps and they're humming. and they're... No, there's war. War in heaven. So much of what we believe about Christianity is just pretend. So there's a war up in heaven of all places. And Michael, the archangels and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon is Satan. Their names for Satan are dragon and serpent. The dragon and his angels fought, but they weren't strong enough, and they did not prevail. And he and his angels were forced, Satan and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the age-old serpent called the devil or Satan, which, by the way, you're fighting him today, and so am I. We're fighting him for our families. We're fighting him for our country. We're fighting him for every single thing. He, Satan comes to kill, steal, destroy. He's coming to kill, steal, destroy. Stand up and fight. Because you'll defeat him, but you've got to fight. 
This great dragon, the age-old serpent called the devil or Satan, he who continually deceives and, de and seduces the entire inhabited world. He's deceiving people. He's seducing them. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. Do you think it's shouting in heaven? I'm just saying we just have such unreal views. There's a shout that goes out. I love that. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren and sisters who've been thrown down at last, he who accuses them and keeps bringing charges against them before our God day and night, and they overcame him. You guys know the scripture? They overcame him. They overcame Satan. They overcame him. How? How do they overcome? Blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony, for they did not love their life and renounce their faith, even in the face of death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. It's not an easy path. And the reason God had me name this ministry Spirit Arising. I didn't like the name. The Holy Spirit gave it to me. So I went with it <laughs> since he named it. He said, I want people to know the power of the Holy Spirit is to rise over the body of Christ. That's what these years, that's what I've tried to teach you, the power of God available to you. But it does not come without a fight. You're going to have to be a warrior. You're going to have to be a fighter. And when you are and when you do, the spirit of God and the power will arise over you. And you will win if you don't quit. But you're going to have some battle scars. If you don't have battle scars, you're actually not in the battle. If it's normal, you're probably not really in much of a battle. Because normal doesn't really happen for the warriors. Ask Josh and Ginger. You know, he's special forces. They didn't live a normal life. He fought for our nation. We honor that. They didn't live a normal life. They lived a powerful life. That, and, and what are you going to choose? Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to choose the Lord. We're going to choose the fight. We're going to choose the battle. I don't want to fight it. I don't like fighting it. I'm tired of fighting it. But when I am too weak to go on, God sends Maplegate and Caven, and he lifts the hands. And the battle is won. It's funny. So I was leaving church, just maybe not last Sunday, I think the Sunday before. And Alan, who started the church with his wife, Betty, once again comes running out after me. He's like, I've been trying to get to you the whole time. You've been surrounded by people. And the church was empty by the time we're leaving. And he runs out after me. And it's just the two of us standing there. And every time I talk to Alan, I cry. Because it's a safe place. He's a man who's been a warrior. You know, when I, when I message Jody Tester, the other elder back, or Chance, I can just be like, I'm hurting so bad. I can be honest. So Alan comes out and, you know, I was fine until Alan shows up and now I find myself crying. And I said, I just, you know, that Thursday's my last talk. I just feel like all these battles, I fought Satan. I fought him and I beat him. Let me tell you, Satan is a fighter. You do deliverance, you find out he fights, he scraps. 
How dare we be weak and not be scrappers? How dare we not be gritty? So I'm like, I have fought so much for so long, and now, now, and, and so I, I'm like, what is this? So I just said, I feel like I'm, I feel like he's winning. I feel like I'm quitting. And I just start to cry, and I'm like, I just don't want to, I don't want to stop. I don't have a choice. He said the best thing, you know, it's funny. Um, I communicate like a man. I don't need long drawn out. That I get bored. I'm real quick and to the point. So um, I, I really communicate like men. So my conversations are not long, and all I need is a sentence. He said, Stephanie, are you kidding me? He said, you're such a fighter. He said, are you kidding me? He said, you're a fighter. I said, yeah, but I, I'm, ending my, I'm ending all my ministries right now. He said, you're not ending them. You're pausing. You're taking a break. He said, and God's making you. He said, he said, do you know much about boxing? I said, no, nothing. I hate boxing. I want nothing to do with boxing. <laughs> he said, well, let me tell you about boxing. He said, they go in the ring. They fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight. They get bloodied. And then what do they have to do? Ding, ding, ding. You have to rest. He said, no fighter can go without resting. He said, you've been in the ring for 10 years. And before that, you were in 10 years fighting for your marriage. And now it's been 10 years fighting for the ministry. Ding, ding, ding. You sit this out, girl. You're going to be back in for round two. Could be back in for round two. And I was like, after he said that, can I tell you, I've been fine ever since. That's all I needed. Two sentences. I was like, okay. I mean, I'm still crying. I'm still sad. doesn't take away that sad part. But all I want to say to you guys is, I'll see y'all in round two. <laughs> see y'all in round two. So, <laughs> uh, oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I love you guys. I love you guys. Let me just seal this word, okay? Y'all are on your feet. Good. Stay up. Father God, as we depart, Lord God, I, we'll probably never all be together in this house again, Lord God. Make them warriors. Make them fighters. Lord God, when they're bloodied and they need someone to raise their hands, send them in. God, send us in for each other, God. Don't let them quit. Lord, whatever they need to do in their personal relationships, God, let them hear from you, God. And Father God, let this room, the disciples were only 12, but they overcame the whole world with the gospel. Let this group, but they all died martyrs except for John, who died in prison in Patmos. So Father God, I pray God, it's not an easy path, Lord God. We, we walk away from the lie of easy believism. We walk into the truth of the gospel, which is you're going to have to have grit and fight, and God will give you the strength you need, and you will overcome. You will overcome. It'll be worth the battle, all of it. The victory will come, Lord God. Strengthen them. Write this message on their heart, God. Seal it in them, God. And send them out. All these teachings, all these years, Lord God, send them out as warriors now, Lord God. And further your kingdom. For the glory of God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>